Hello, this is Michael Zuber, and I wanted to thank you for choosing to spend a little time with one rental at a time. My life's mission is to help investors close 1 million rental properties. In order to tackle this crazy goal, I will need your help. If you like this episode or any of the content we produce, please share it on social media. If you get one of my books or perhaps one of our 500 cards, please take a selfie and tag one rental at a time. Now on with the show. Good morning, good afternoon. Wow, that was cool. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, folks. Michael Zuber, one rental at a time. Uh, We have a surprise guest, a 25-year veteran of Wall Street. Yep, we got one of those Wall Streeters. Uh, on the video here. Uh, we're going to talk about what's going on in the economy, what's going on on Wall Street. And we're also going to talk about why he left Wall Street, because uh, I think that's a important story as well. So let's welcome Taylor to the show. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Michael. Thanks for having me. Before we get into it, I, I will just throw one correction because of my boyish looks. Myself <laughs> and my partner combined have 25 ah. year, years on Wall Street. I have a decade myself, but but 25 is, is putting me a little ahead of my time there. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Thank, thank you for the correction. Yeah, my, uh, my notes were scribbled a little bit too quickly. I was going to say you must have some special sauce out there in New York or something. Yeah, God's water. <laughs> God's water. There you go. There you go. Hey, I want to talk. I want to talk. We're, you know, this is a channel that really is about Main Street, if you will, right? I know. I know the financial industry loves to talk about Wall Street, Main Street, the stock market's not Main Street. All of these things. Uh, I think we are living in what might prove to be a pivotal moment in time. Uh, again, it'll be years in the making. Calling it a moment may be suspect, but I think. I think what we are seeing. Uh, is perhaps an inflection point in rates, right? 40 years, right? My entire adult life, yours as well, uh, rates have generally been going down. I believe that has created laziness, bad allocators, uh, right? When the cost of capital is zero, you don't even have to be very good to make money. I think there's a lot of pain coming to Wall Street and I'm looking forward to it, frankly. Um, but you know, you were on wall street, so maybe I'm, you know, looking at the, at the things incorrectly and maybe the fed and Powell is just going to bend over and keep bailing you guys out or them guys out. So what do you, what are you thinking? Do you think we might have five or six years of increasing rates? Yeah, I think it could be tough. I actually don't think the fed is going to be able to raise rates as quickly as what's projected by the market right now. Right now, the market's pricing in six to seven hikes this year, Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure our economy can stomach that. Yeah. So we'll see. It'll be interesting. But I think to your point that this is a bit of a pivotal time frame. I mean, you look back, the S&P's done what, 16% per mm-hmm. year over the last 10? Yeah. You look back over the last 20, it's a little more labored at seven and a half. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the big firms, the three biggest asset managers in the country right now, Vanguard, JP Morgan, and BlackRock, Vanguard's projecting a 3.3% annualized return over the next 10 years out of stocks. Yeah. Yeah. BlackRock's at 4-1. JP Morgan's at 5-1. And it's like, you see a lot of stuff on social media of put money away, you know, $150 a week. And if you annualize it at 10%, it's like, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hold up, hold up here. Um, where are we getting this 10% annualized rate that we're anticipating moving forward? Because yeah. people don't realize when rates go up, that's like increasing gravity and trying to jump. Exactly. And it's not just, bond. you know, a lot of people talk about bonds getting beaten up when rates go up, but everybody gets beaten up. The consumer gets beaten up. 
we, you know, our mortgage rates go up, our credit card debt gets more expensive, student loans get more expensive. Yeah. Companies, obviously, their cost of capital, if they want to build out a factory, whatever it may be, profit margins get squeezed across the board. Mm-hmm. And don't don't have it any other way, but realizing that returns likely are going to be more labored moving forward than they are looking backwards. I, th- I think this is exactly where I was hoping this would go, right? We need to make decisions going forward, right? Looking back historically, this, that, I mean, it's in, it's interesting from a, I don't know, mean testing, I guess, what is going on. But when we really look at the last 40 years, rates have been going down, generally speaking, right? Rates in the 80s were double digits and they went as low. And in 2020, they had a two on them for 30-year money. Can you, I mean, that is, that is, that is a, 2% to borrow for 30-year money. There is, and I've done the math in 2020, it was the most affordable time to buy a home. And, yep. and that's when prices were above 06. It's all about the cost of capital or the cost of money. And I really do think we are going to be in a raising rate environment. We can definitely talk about speed over duration. Um, I guess I'll ask you, Fed funds rate. Uh, if you were going to pick a number out of thin air at the end of 2022, what number do you think they get to? I think they're probably able to move three to four more times from now. So all in on the high end of that, they get to a buck 25. Oh, so you're thinking quarters. You don't think there's this half, this jumbo rate coming up in, in uh, Yeah, well, good point. It, it, it could come in different chunks. Don't get me wrong there. But I think okay. all in, because, you know, Paul was articulating that it's looking like they could move at 50 bips. Yeah. But I just think there's a lot going on right now. You're seeing corporate earnings start to come in a little bit, start to slow down a little bit. There's still the outstanding commodity kind of gamble that's being played out right now with the war in the East. Mm -hmm. And who knows exactly how it's going to, you know, work itself out. But there's a lot of headwinds right now that we haven't experienced in some time. And and don't fight the Fed is is kind of like the ultimate rule of thumb when it comes to capital allocation. And right now the Fed is telling us unequivocally, rates are going higher. Yeah, it's the pace at which they go higher. That's the question mark at this point. But I think people have to start to look around and say, okay, stocks were the only game in town looking backwards. Correct. No, question. You know, I, won't, I won't argue with you that real estate's been good too. So I know that's a huge asset class of years and real estate's been great as well. But bonds haven't been all that attractive looking nope. backwards. Mm-mm. But now that rates have moved, all of a sudden you look at the third year or you look at something like maybe emerging market debt, which maybe someone says that's scary right now. You look at high yield debt, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're starting to get up in that five six percent ballpark, and yeah. you start to look at high yield debt at a five per six five to six percent yield, with half the volatility of stocks. Yeah, and you start to look at again the capital allocators in the world saying like Vanguard that stocks are going to annualize a three point three percent return, mm-hmm. and it's like now are there alternatives? I yeah. think the alternatives start to look a little more attractive. And I think people start have to start thinking about diversification outside of just indexing or whatever yeah. they've been doing in the past. Yeah. Indexing. This, this is something I said yesterday for the first time about real estate. It's the analogy of stocks, right? There are eras where you should just put your money in an index fund and just let it run. But if we're in a lost decade, right? BlackRock and all these other, and basically where you're going to be flat for a decade or 3%. It really becomes a stock pickers market, right? To use stocks. I think it's going to become that in real estate as well, right? Anybody and their brother could have flipped homes the last two years. You could have been the worst operator and made a ton of money. 
I think the worst, again, I've been doing this 20 some odd years. There were times where if you're just even a marginal operator, you go bankrupt. I think that's right. the environment we're heading to in, in, in real estate. And where I'm going with this is you're, you're saying the Fed gets to one and a quarter. Uh, I'll, take, I'll take the other side of that. I'll go way over. I think they get to two and three quarters is, is kind of my call. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, I think there's two 50 basis point moves back to back. Uh, I called that actually before Goldman Sachs, like 48 hours before. So I'm glad they're watching my channel and stealing my content. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. I just, and then you got Citigroup, dude. Citigroup's coming out saying four 50 basis point moves. I'm like, you guys are yep. drunk. Somebody's on yep. drugs. That's not happening. Yep. That, that would be too much. That, uh, that would cause some sort of hysteria in my opinion. Dude, that would uh, break so much stuff. I mean, the, yep. I, it would just, it would shatter things. Yep. You know, yep. I, I, I mean, look I, at the yeah. yield curve. Yeah. You, look at the yield curve right, look, look at the yield curve right now. Look at yeah. the two to 10 spread. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I haven't watched it in the last hour or so, but it's at two basis points. Yeah. It went slightly Historically, negative on Monday. Historically, when that thing yeah. inverts, not it good. does cause a recession. So it's tough to think that they can continue to pump the front end up. Now, granted, there's already rates, rate hikes built into the front end. Oh, yeah. So, for sure, so, for sure. so obviously that, you know, that stands to say that every rate hike is not going to continue to move the two year. In fact, if they don't move rates at yeah, one no. meeting, the two year will probably come in. Right. Oh, so for sure. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's an interesting environment that we live in nonetheless. Yeah. And the reason this is important is again, the fed, the, the Fed does control a lot of this because, again, it's the, it's the best basis for risk-free investing, right? And that's where all other assumptions are kind of built Correct. off, right? Very well put. Um, and, again, it, it's really interesting, right? If, if you're at one and a quarter, I'm at two and three quarters. Dude, that's a point and a half spread. <laughs> Massive. <laughs> On a percentage basis, that's a double almost, that's right? That's a double, exactly. It is a double. <laughs> More than a double. Yeah, I'm at, I'm at one, you know, 125, 150. You're out almost at three. That's a yeah, double. That's and a it's double, funny. Yeah. So what people don't realize also is that the back end of the curve, so look at the 30-year treasury. Yeah. One of the best bond managers I've ever uh, gotten to know in my Wall Street career said, tell me where inflation goes. I'll tell you where the long end of the curve goes. Of course. So the back end, the 30-year treasury, et cetera, right now is saying that inflation is going to moderate meaningfully. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's a huge stretch for anyone to say that at this point. But right now you look at five-year forward inflation and it's right around 3%, which is yeah. right about where that long end treasury sits at this point. Yeah. The long ends come in some at two, four, five, I think is where it is right now. Mm -hmm. But again, the long end of the curve is essentially saying this 8% inflationary environment that we're in right now it's not going to last. And, and, and we'll see, you know, yeah. the Fed's been wrong on this. We'll see if the market's wrong on it. The, you know, the Fed has said transitory, transitory, transitory <laughs> until they weren't allowed to say that yeah. word anymore. And they got duct tape put over their mouth, yeah, can, right? Can we, can we change the definition, please? Transitory? Yeah, that, that, was, that was embarrassing. That, that was embarrassing. It, it, it was. It was. And, and I don't necessarily blame them. You're going to kill me for saying this. I don't necessarily blame them for not raising rates as quickly, but at least get off the get the gas and stop buying bonds. Well, we were not uh, yeah. in emergency territory. Yeah. That, so yeah, first and foremost, you're absolutely wrong. They should have raised sooner, but I will give, <laughs> I will give you the first thing they should have done is stop buying. Right. They were right. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that one. Yeah. They, they certainly stayed too long, too low, too long. Yep. Which, oh, by the way, I think is going to have destructive impacts across sectors that I've never even thought of. My my world, my real estate, my residential world, I have 
coined a term that at least I've never heard of before called supply destruction. You and I both know there is something called demand destruction, which is essentially what the Fed has done in real estate, right? They've, they've, all they've done is talk about raising rates and the 30-year money has gone from 2.8 to 5.8. Yep. That's demand destruction. Yep. Everybody gets that. Here's the, here's my big fear that people should be talking about. And again, it's very residential real estate. Never had to think about this in 30 years. We now have 70% of uh, 30-year residential loans that have been recast in the last two years, either via a refi or a purchase. 70%. So, so, so the, the house has either moved ownership and a new new financing has Stepped taken place in, or the or current owner refinance. has just refinanced. 70% of people. Wow, that's a massive number. So here's the problem. And the reason this is a problem is we've had two years of this now. This is something we've never had to think about, Taylor. I believe that is going to become a financial asset for owners. Because as you know, undoubtedly, the average person stays in their home for seven or eight years, depending on which report you see. They usually trade up. Taylor, I don't know if you know this, but usually when you trade up, the house is more expensive. Is that how that works? Is that how that works? Yeah. (laughs) Now, this mom and dad who are sitting around the kitchen table looking at their monthly spend going, we're kind of comfortable. We'd love a new house. We just had a new kid. Honey, let's go look for new homes. They're going to go out and look. Let's just say the new home's 100 grand more expensive. Not unreasonable. But then they go to their mortgage broker and their mortgage broker says, let's pretend it's next year. You have a 30-year rate at 6.1%. They fall out of their chair. They realize a 6.1% means their mortgage payment more than doubles. Then they go home and go, honey, what if we just paint that room blue? Yep. Yep. Boy, that might, that, that might do the trick. And what if we just take that wall down, spend a couple thousand dollars instead? Yeah. Well, you know, so, so what we are going to have is supply destruction that move up buyer. I don't know what the percentage is, but I'm going to guess half will not move. Yep. And you know that in a supply demand equation, not only do you need willingness and capacity to buy, but you fucking need supply. Yep. And they're not yep. going to list. So yep. instead of doing 6.1 million transactions a year, we're probably going to do 4.8 or less simply because uh, an asset that shouldn't be there. Like if we would have had mortgage rates with a two on it for like six months, the pool wouldn't be that big. It, right. the, it wouldn't move the needle, right? Yeah, there'd be some people, but we got two years and everybody and their brother bought or refied. They're not going where. It's, it's, right. This is going to be so destructive. And there is so much money in the real estate game, refis. 60%, I called it to go down 75%. Refis are going to go down 75% or greater. Already down 60% year on year. So no more cash out, no more playing with that extra money. Well, who, who's got rates higher than they were? You can't refi now. If you're oh. going to refi. It, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. The pool of what they call fat or whatever they, the, the pool of people that could refi and be meaningful is nothing now. Right. It's right. It just, I, I don't think the economy is nearly as strong as, as people think. And I think the fed, I mean, the real estate economy, I think in the U S is like eight or 9% of GDP. When you add in all the extra components, it's yep. about to go down for years to come because of the transactions aren't going to be there. It's, it's a yep. big problem. I think. 
Yeah, I've heard statistics like that. I've heard them as high as 11 and 12% is the real estate, you know, when you factor yeah. in the back end stuff of appliance, et cetera, that comes along with it. True. That's, that's meaningful. And, yeah. and not only that, it's a psychological component. It's a massive psychological component that comes along with that as well. I mean, that's the whole thing with gas prices, right? You know, it's, it's a de minimis portion of most people's take on pay, mm -hmm. but it's like, it's always a bug light in your face when you drive yeah. down the street because it's 423 or where you live at six, whatever, you know, exactly. it's just yeah. crazy. And you, and, and so there's how a many disproportionate in, effect. Yeah. How many Instagram photos like, now of people taking a picture of their gas pump? It's all over yep. my Instagram feed. It's crazy. Yep. Right. Yep. So what's your take? Do real estate prices come in and softened yep. or because of the lack of supply, they're going to remain high and the demand isn't going anywhere because millennials are the largest generation and they're coming into that peak home buying age. Yeah. The, the real, here's the problem. It depends on what part of the, this is where it gets nuanced. I believe this is where you need to be an expert. Yeah, yeah, you need to like look at your market every day and have a buy box and all that daily <laughs> nonsense stuff. I think the first time home buyer market um, doesn't get any better. I, I don't have any good news for you. In fact, prices probably go up because again, where we're going to see the move up buyers impact the greatest. If I'm right, 50% of the people don't move. That's right. half of the first time because that's where most, right? They sell the first time and they buy the next one. Yep. It's not, I don't have good news for you. Plus then you add in builders, at least in my area, they haven't built a an, an entry home in five years and they're not going to start now given cost of labor, cost of material, dead days. I, I got no good news for you. Where you are going to see a little hole, hole in the market probably is that kind of baby boomer, you know, the old five threes that were built a lot in the eighties. I think that yep. stuff comes in, right? So if you're like, 50% above the median for whatever your market is. I think that stuff gets soft. And if you're luxury, that stuff gets soft. But first time homeowners go up from here. Um, so yeah. I guess when you balance all that out, I'm calling for a flat market. Uh, again, a, almost like a stock pickers market. So, so my brother lives, and he's actually the co-founder of my company. He lives in downtown and he's got a condo and he's got a wife who has now, they have a little daughter together and the condo is not ideally suited for what they're doing. <laughs> and so not, they've no. been, yeah, it, it, not to mention the stairs have the gap between them. So, <laughs> you know, all of that. So uh, no, but they've been, they've been kicking the tires on moving, thinking about moving, et cetera. And this actually goes back over a year now. And what happened was he was full on planning to move and actually build a house. Hmm. And he was sitting on, you know, real conservative investments, think munis and, and, you know, a smattering of investment grade corporates doing two to 3% a year. And that was fine. And when you think about what he's doing, he's got a financial background as well. People who don't generally just sit in a savings account. Yeah. Right. So they're sitting on something that's literally yielding 0.06%. Yeah. And they're trying to track down a house that's gone up at 19.2% is the average home yeah. price increase over the last year. Yeah. And so what, what we did, and this kind of comes from, from, Hey, what do we do as a company? Mm -hmm. We built a product at the end of the day that said, Hey, we're going to help you bridge the gap and afford that down payment. Because if you continue to sit in a savings account that yields 0% yeah. and homes continue to, in both of our opinions, especially for first time home buyers go up. Yeah. How do you track that down? Do you go out and buy SPY and the S&P 500 or VOO or whatever it might be? I don't know. Fed's raising rates. Don't fight the Fed. So what we did was we put together a product called the Life Goal Home Down Payment. 
investment ETF. Oh, so okay. the ticker is HOM. Mm -hmm. And what we're literally doing is trying to build a product to help someone conservatively offset home price inflation. That's and great. that's the intent of it. We know that when people are saving for a home, they can't have a ton of volatility because that money's earmarked for that down payment. Yeah, because that, that is a very, that's a very, very, very common question. Hey, Michael, you know, I, I, I'm sitting on whatever it is, tens of thousands of dollars. I'm almost there. Another year of savings. savings. So what would be an example of stuff inside the ETF? Again, H-O-M. Yeah, good question. So what it is, is it's a multi-asset ETF. So within it, you're going to have underlying stocks bonds and commodities. Mm -hmm. So just kind of round numbers, I'll throw them at you. Sure. It's about 60% bonds. Okay. And that'll be a mix of high quality and low quality bonds. So some interest rate sensitive stuff, some that's not. And what that does is controls the volatility mm -hmm. and the downside capture. Gotcha. So the bonds control the volatility essentially and provide some income. And then you have five to 10% in commodities. Mm -hmm. And that's going to help in an inflationary environment. Obviously, that's done really well for the portfolio this year. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly the last couple of months. Yes. Yeah, right. As oil skyrockets, although it has softened since then, but nonetheless, it's done very well. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last component of it's kind of the interesting component. So okay. call it 25 to 30% is in stocks. Mm -hmm. Half of the stock exposure is specific to housing related companies. So like, this is going to be in, like, go ahead, you, you throw them and I'll tell you yes or no. Like, uh, like we just had the report from Restoration Hardware, RH. Would that be yep. a, so, something in there? So we don't own it, but perfect. But You're that's, thinking things that's the example. Up Home Depot, yeah. Lowe's, direct home builders like Lenar Pulte Brothers, and Pulte, yeah, Lenar, yeah. exactly, Homes, Stanley yeah. Black & Decker, et cetera. Go. So okay. you know that if someone's going to use this to buy a house, mm -hmm. why not have a disproportionate weighting of it directly tied to underlying housing prices? I like So okay. at the end of the day, Michael, it's like we're trying to build a product that over a full market cycle does five and a half percent a year. Where okay. did I pull that number from? Where, where, where does that one come from? Yeah. The long-term average home price increase in the United States over 50 years is five and a half percent, 5.4 to be specific. Like we're not, we're not tracking down 20% that happened last year. Yeah. You know, no, no stretch of the imagination. <laughs> that's no, that is that again, that's not healthy. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. I, I mean, I was lucky enough to start this thing when my market, my MSA, of Fresno, California was the number one MSA in the country two years in a row. Wow. Wow. That's not, that's not a good thing. It feels good in the moment. And then you see that my market went down 75% peak to trough in the crisis. Yeah. If you got out like I did, you're great. But I trust me, I was very rare uh, that I got out at the top and got back in at the bottom. There were tons of, there were tons of people wiped out, right? 75% haircut in a leveraged asset. That doesn't end well for most people. In a leveraged asset against another leveraged asset against another leveraged asset. Yes. <laughs> well, look, like, that's what's caused this quandary that we're in right now is that yeah. banks are like, nope, learn our lesson. Not doing that again. We're not lending anybody money. And then yeah. we go over 12 years of an underbuild. And yeah. now there's a supply shortage. Shocking. In COVID, people <laughs> move out of cities. Like it was, it was just the perfect storm for housing. Between COVID, the mm -hmm. undersupply that took more than a decade to exacerbate itself. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, millennial generation being the perfect age. Yeah, no. And the it, largest it, population. Yeah, sweet spot of buying. Yeah, it's, it, well, let me ask you a question. This is my view of the economy 2022, 2023. And please disagree with me if you do. Yeah. I, I, I believe 
we're in stagflation today and the definition being high inflation, low growth, positive, but low growth. I believe roughly speaking, we're going to be in this environment until probably Q1 of next year. At which point I believe, because again, as I said earlier, I think the Fed goes up more aggressive than you and a hard line and a hard landing ensues, meaning a recession. I'll call a recession validated in Q3, which means it could start in Q2, maybe Q3. But I don't have a rosy picture of the next two years. I'll, I'll stop there and tell me where you agree or disagree. I don't disagree. I think that a threading the needle, which is what everyone's calling what the Fed's trying to do, yeah, is going the, to be a very, very, very tall task. Rates are incredibly yeah. low. Yeah. Growth is slowing. And inflation is incredibly high. And inflation is showing a little bit more persistence than what the Fed is desiring right now. It's it not, is not getting any better. No. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not going to in the short term. So I think that the Fed is in a tighten till it cracks environment. Oh, I, I, that's exactly right. I think they're going to tighten till it breaks. Yep. I just think that breaks quicker than you do, candidly, because no. I think they can't raise as many. I don't think they can raise as much. As, as what you do and have the consumer yeah. and corporations be able to weather that storm. The low-end consumer is not in as great of shape as I think most people believe they are. I agree and, with that a thousand percent, yes. And, and so that they disproportionately affect the economy and the fact that when they're flush, they spend. When you are flush, Michael, it doesn't make a difference to what you spend. Not You're going to spend the same amount regardless. Yeah. With, so when the low end person has the excess capital, that's what spurs on the economy. And I'm not, I'm talking about real economic growth. I'm not talking about capital market growth and yes. growth of assets because that can happen regardless because you do put more money into real estate mm -hmm. in the markets from a stock market perspective. And that does drive up asset prices, but the underlying real economy is what the fed is going to have to be focused on because they're going to be tightening and it's going to slow. And I think it slows faster than you do. Canada. Yeah. And see, that's, this is, this is going to be so, this is fascinating. We see the world the same way. It's just our lead lag is different. I believe yep. the Fed's going to be raising, you know, meeting after meeting after meeting, a couple of a very aggressive moves. And it's, there's, I just think there's a bigger delay in the numbers, right? I think we see the world the same way. I think maybe yours is just more abrupt. I think they easily get over 2% before they even, before they turn around and go, oh shit, we lost half the economy. Right. Hey, it's, it's this one for me, Michael. What caused this, this bounce that we saw, this 10% bounce in a lot of the stock market that we've seen to back to pre-war levels? Now, we're not at the highs, but we are where we were before Russia invaded the Ukraine. And I'm not saying that those are massive yeah. economies. So no, like, no. That's not going to twist it. That's not what I'm getting at here. Mm -hmm. But what has changed meaningfully enough to not have that be an overall negative effect from start to now? Well, I believe the answer relies in the retail investor. I think what we're seeing today is very much the dot-com era that I grew up in and cut my teeth in. Uh, I think generally speaking, Wall Street, right? The smart money, if you will, are like, dude, what the fuck? What are you guys doing? That's crazy. <laughs> but, but you know, the Reddits and the, you know, buy the dip fans. And again, buy the dip has worked. Amazing. Yeah. They're not uh, wrong to this month, you know, to, to date. No, you're right. Eventually, they're going to be wrong. But Right. And who controls the punch bowl? The, the Fed. Fed. The Fed. The Fed controls the punch boil and, and, and they're starting to pull it back. Yeah. And it's funny, you look at two different markets right now, the two largest asset classes there are, 
bonds actually being much larger of an asset class oh, than stocks. That's where and the bonds are going. Yeah. Bonds are going. Hey, look, you know, the curve is perfectly flat right now. It's yeah. not inverted as of this moment, but it was for a second yesterday. But yep. you look at it and they're going, wave the white flag. This yeah. is not as good as what the market is perceiving at this point. I totally so this agree. Is, yeah, I, I think that, um, and I do think there's a lot of seasonality to the to the stock market as well. And we're going to mm -hmm. enter a period where the, the seasonality works against us as well. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think the, I think the underlying economy is much weaker. Uh, this the, the, the stat that drives me the craziest, Taylor, is, oh, we have $1.3 trillion in excess savings. I look at that number and go, the top 10%. Have right. one point three trillion dollars right. in this. Right. This is that is not the economy, and I mean just just yesterday, Google search trends for um, food stamps up over a hundred percent. Folks, that's not Ouch. good. That's not good. Ouch. Right. Ouch. And uh, I think I think the and again, well, let's let's this is a lot of fun. So, uh, how about unemployment? Let's play this game. My current thinking about unemployment: the unemployment rate U three. Again, you can we can argue about how useless it is, but it's the only one we can both talk about and not, you know, define differently, right? So you three, right? Three point yep. eight was the last reading. I believe it goes down to like three two or three three by August or September, and then it goes up, and we end twenty twenty three at six percent. How's that feel? Well, you put some thought into this. I have not. Um, uh, but I, I guess from my economic standpoint, I don't disagree with you that it comes in because right now there's just so much of a labor shortage right now that people are fighting over employees and they will overpay employees in the short term. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, to your point, to get product out the door, they will hire people, even if it's not the right hire. Correct. And so therefore, unemployment, I agree, comes down. But to my point, and I'm a little bit more aggressive on my negative thought on the market mm -hmm. than you are, the economy mm -hmm. that is, yep. is that it has to go up. If we're going towards a recession, then yep. obviously you're going to see an increase in unemployment. And how quick that happens, I haven't put enough thought in it to put sure. a number on it. But um, yes, yes, it has to come up. It's at a strikingly no, low number right now. And, and the, you know, right now, if, if you're an employee and you're All not happy with your employment, go to bat for yourself. And it, like I, I've said this to a couple of my buddies where like I'm, I, I first asked them, are you a good employee? Like, you be straight. You know whether you are or not. I've been a good employee in the past. I've also been a bad employee in the past. Mm -hmm. And I know when I'm, I, I've known on both sides that if you're a good employee right now, yeah. go to bat for yourself. Yeah. Because you have all the buying power right now. Go and demand a raise. Mm -hmm. And if they're not willing to go, give you a raise, go out and find a contract from the street and bring it back to them. Yeah. No, no one likes to move, right? No one likes change. So they don't mm -hmm. actually want to leave their company, but they will meet it. And they probably won't meet it until you have another contract in your hand. Totally agree. And that's, this is, this is the wrinkle. This is the difference between your one and a quarter and my three is I believe this wage inflation or the good job market, whatever we want to call it, I believe is going to last longer than you do. If I were to kind yep. of peel all this together, because I think that buys us a year and then it just breaks, right? Cost of capital, right. these, these debt, these companies that are running off debt, it just, it stops. And eventually it's like, whoops, we got to shut the doors versus get stuff product out the door. Uh, I think right. if I, to peel it back, that's probably why I see it going to 3% and you're at one. And, and that's probably a fair assessment because when they, when the money gets flushed through the system to people, they spend it more quickly than on the opposite end. It's a negative. Yeah. Yeah. I get where you're coming from there and it's not a bad argument at all. 
Yeah. So this, this is a lot of fun. So where can people find out more about life goal investment in your ETF HOM? Yep. So, and, and we won't talk about them, but there's also two other ETFs that are not as home. They're not at all home focused. They're just broad market diversified multi-asset ETFs. Okay. So there's, there's one is ticker wealth WLTH. Okay. Which is kind of your long-term, I want retirement assets. And then there's Savin, S-A-V-N, which mm -hmm. is more of your, hey, I don't like getting what I'm getting at the bank. I want to do something a little better, but I don't know where to go. That's where that one is. And all of them have the stock bond commodity exposure just to different percentages to Very align good. with those risks. Anyway, to your question, the millennial plug, we are at Life Goal Investments, Life Goal Investments on Instagram. And we do a ton of stuff on there. It's not product specific. It's more economic conversations like this. It's Love more, that. hey, here's a couple tricks to think about. Here's a couple things to keep an eye on, et cetera. And then also our website's just lifegoalinvestments.com. Folks, this has been an awesome and fun conversation. I know lots of you are having some questions you would like me to ask Taylor. Do me a favor, leave comments in the uh, below and I will get Taylor back and we will go through some of your questions. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. You're the man, Michael. Thanks for having me. You got it.